Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So I thought a lot about this week's episode and how I thought I could offer the most helpful and supportive information right now. So I have one question I'm going to answer, and also I'm going to get into some basics on that one. So it'll be helpful for more than just this particular question. So I think it'll be good for parents uh, to go back to basics on this question covered it a little bit in the past, but I I think I'm going to be go a little more in depth than what I've done before. So that should be helpful for a lot of situations. Um, And that's about nighttime wake ups, even with an easy bedtime again, but because I'm going to go back to some basics, I think that just those basics will be helpful in a lot of different scenarios. So also I'm going to then cover a topic that I think deserves some real attention. I've covered it before, but I'm going to cover a little bit different angle and that's what's going on for us adults right now during the pandemic, how we're handling it, how and where we're struggling. This is some really difficult stuff going on right now. I have some pretty strong coping skills, I feel like, but I'm not going to lie. This has been a hard year. This is hard stuff, and it's been getting harder as the pandemic wears on. So as I've already shared, I've been struggling too. So I wanted to discuss this in support of parents so we can do our best to keep doing our best for ourselves and then supporting our kids too. So first the question from Jacqueline and she wrote, I'm struggling with my newly two-year-old's night wake-ups. I don't understand why he still wakes up at night. 
He follows the same schedule every day at daycare, and we follow the same schedule when he's home with us on the weekends as closely as possible. We cap his naps at two hours every day. He goes to bed around 8.15 to 8.30. We've tried to get it as close to 8 p.m. as possible, but this is much better progress from the 9 p.m. bedtime we did have a month ago. He goes down perfectly. He doesn't even fight it. Most nights, all I have to do is say it's bedtime, but I still don't understand these night wake-ups. When he wakes through the night, in most cases, he wants milk, and that's the only way I can get him to go back to sleep. We did have a bad habit of this going on up until he was a year, and then he suddenly stopped for a while. Ever since about 22 months, he's been waking up at night again and would try to console him, and it always led to his sippy with milk. I have to be conscious of his little baby brother that is sleeping right next door, so I try to console him as best I can without having a cranky toddler, an infant, at 3 a.m. What can I do to break this bad habit with my toddler? I'm really interested in your classes, and I may invest in this very soon as I struggle with toddler discipline and tantrums as well. Okay, so as many of you are aware, well aware, bedtimes and nighttimes are some of the most popular questions, so you've heard me give a lot of advice about this already. But every question has its nuances, so you've also heard me say to focus on bedtime first if that's an issue. But for Jacqueline, bedtime is going super smoothly. So for her, it's really strictly about a middle-of-the-night issue. So if you're having a similar issue, bedtimes are super smooth, but middle-of-the-night's not so much, then it's time to focus on the middle-of-the-night specifically. So as I shared, this is where I'm going to get back to some basics for a few minutes before addressing this question directly. So I like to do this sometimes because it really helps to have a deeper understanding of the dynamics of the situation. Plus, it can help parents in more scenarios than just this one. So in the Intro to Discipline class, I talk about many things to cover the basics of a solid foundation for and an understanding of discipline. Now, I highly recommend this 101 class. It's a 101 discipline class for gaining basic understanding and then building upon that with the other positive discipline classes. One of the things I cover in the Intro to Discipline class is conditioning or in specific operant conditioning. Now this is a psychological term which is about shaping behavior. Now it's not a part of positive discipline per se, but it is a basic concept in psychology that's really helpful to understand when it comes to working with our kids. Because this is something that if it's not well understood, it can come back and bite us in the butt later. When we think of conditioning in parenting, we often think of the parent as the one shaping behavior. But in actuality, kids are natural scientists. They don't do this on purpose. They don't do it consciously. But kids often shape parents' behavior too, if we aren't privy to what is happening. So for a few key terms, conditioning, stimulus, and response. Conditioning or operant conditioning is a way of shaping behavior through a system of rewards and or punishments. The stimulus is the behavior that triggers the response. The response is then, duh, the response to the behavior. So the response will either increase the likelihood of the stimulus, the behavior, or decrease it depending on what that response is. Now, I'm not going to get into positive and negative rewards and positive and negative punishments because it's a bit much. It also can get confusing. And I don't mean to reduce parenting to a science experiment. It is much more nuanced than this. But it is an underlying thread in the fabric of the relationship interaction. And so it's just really important to be aware of it. 
As we evolve in our parenting and as our children develop, it's still a factor, but we can and do evolve to using a lot more positive discipline. But there are times, and some of these are bedtimes, middle of the nights, sometimes tantrums, depending on the scenario, mealtimes, this conditioning can apply really strongly. So children, as the natural scientists they are, will often experiment with different stimuli or behaviors to get the response they're after. This is a common occurrence, like I said, with mealtimes or with food in general, eating or not the more nutritious foods versus the less nutritious foods, bedtimes, trying to push for more parental involvement and attention at bedtimes, etc. So because they're naturally so good at this, and again, it's all subconscious, they aren't thinking, I want more pasta and no more broccoli, and I'm going to do whatever I can to figure out how to get mom or dad to give me more pasta and to do what I want. They just think, I really want more pasta, or I really want more attention at bedtime or I really want more attention right now, right, if it's bedtime. What can I do to let them know this? How can I get this need met, or really a want in this case, in these cases? So they try something, and if it doesn't work, they try something else and something else. And many times our behavior will give away that we're wavering, that they found a little uh, chink in the armor, a little hole in the fence. When they notice that, they focus on it, and then they will tweak from there until they get the desired result. They'll find that small hole in the fence, that chink in the armor, and they'll start to push through it. Again, subconscious, not like, aha, my plan is working. So as an example, I see this a lot when parents struggle with mealtimes. Children want a different food. So they try this and they try that. I don't mean the food, the behavior. For some kids, a lot of kids, when they refuse to eat the meal in front of them, This gets mom or dad worried that if they don't eat, they'll be too hungry. So they start to negotiate or they start to plead for the child to eat. When the toddler experiences this, they know they have a leg up and then they dig in further into the refusal. The parent then becomes more worried, then gives the toddler a little bit of what they want or they've negotiated, eat a bite of this, I'll give you a bite of that, that type of thing. But then they start to pick up, aha, I have power when I refuse to eat. Parents would often rather see their child eat something than nothing and voila the toddler has just conditioned the parent learned exactly what works to their end goal and it also unfortunately can be the beginning of picky eating so that's now at hand so as you can imagine the same thing goes for bedtimes or night times with toddlers figuring out what they need to do to get parents to stay longer at bedtime or stay longer in the middle of the night engage more at bedtime or middle of the night middle of the nights are particularly difficult because parents are so tired. We just want to do the quickest, easiest thing to get everyone back to sleep. And so it's super easy to fall prey to this conditioning during the middle of the night. In addition, when you have other children or infants you are concerned about waking, it just makes this even easier to just do whatever you need to do to get the child back to sleep as drama-free as possible. Now, in Jacqueline's case, she also had this fall off at one point in time. So this added to her scenario. You know, we're exhausted, so we just do it hoping it's a fluke. And since it's ended in the past, I think, you know, she was just hoping like, okay, he's just going to do this for a couple days and it'll go back. We hope it's for a night or two. But it rarely is for a night or two. It's a short-term solution that most often turns into a long-term issue. Now, with that said, if this keeps going on, is he going to go off to college or even be in high school and be waking in the middle of the night and expecting mom and dad to come in? No, of course not. But in these cases, the crying, the meltdowns, those are the stimulus. 
They continue night after night due to the response of the cuddling, the bottle, or whatever other response the parent is giving for attention and getting them back to sleep in the middle of the night. So the only way to fix this, if you don't want to have to deal with it potentially for years until they finally grow out of it, is to change the response. Now I know this is a lot easier said than done, but if you're struggling with an issue like this, whether it's mealtimes, or it's bedtimes, or it's middle of the night, or it's tantrums, especially the manipulative tantrums, and you want to change it, you have to figure out a way to commit to the process to get things back on track with better footing. So I'm gonna cover steps on how to do exactly this with these nighttime wake-ups right after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads, love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Now that we're back from the break, I'm gonna cover steps to deal with middle of the night wakings if you have your bedtimes already working smoothly. Now this is one of those times, if you wanna fix it, it's best to rip off the Band-Aid. But if you do, you wanna do some planning and setup. It'll go much smoother. 
To do this, you want to set aside three to five nights. Now what I mean by this is setting the expectation, making this the priority and focus, knowing you're going to have three to five nights of some disrupted sleep. You're going to plan on the middle of the nights being a bit rough for those three to five days and planning your daytimes accordingly. Some of the steps to do this can include taking a vacation from work, do it over a holiday weekend. You may want to have meals prepped or plan some easy meals, meals you can just heat up quickly and easily. You may want to plan some nap times for each adult if that helps, so swapping parent duty for a few hours in the afternoon while each of you naps. Whatever that means for making your daytimes easier for those three to five days to get through those nights and be available and ready to get this issue under control. This way you're prepared, you have a lot more resolve in the middle of the night. This may or may not wake the other children, and it is amazing what babies and other children can actually sleep through, but if they don't, you're gonna be prepared. If you are ready or the other parent is on alert for helping the other child if they wake up, you're ready to deal with the meltdowns that come and can remove the concerns. It's no longer, I have to keep this child quiet because you're gonna wake up the brother. Otherwise, the child is just conditioning the parent to keep getting what they want in the middle of the night, and if that's not working, you obviously just want to be ready to deal with it and all the repercussions until you get it fixed in those three to five days. So 24 months is pretty young, but you can have a talk about the middle of the nights in that afternoon about how middle of the night is going to change. Bottles are not going to happen any longer and you will check in with your child, but you won't be staying. As far as the attention piece, I recommend checking in, tucking them back in or putting the child back to bed, rubbing their back for just a moment, stay up to one minute while you tuck in, quick back rub, no talking, no eye contact. You can come back in every few minutes. You wanna try to stay out for a minimum of five minutes before going back if you can. Then settle them back down, lay them down, cover them up again. Again, stay up to one minute and leave. If they're still crying and they're not gonna lay down, they won't let you cover them up, you stay for one minute. We're not pleading, we're not negotiating, we're actually not saying anything at all. If they don't wanna lay back down, that's okay. You can turn around, walk out, come back in in five minutes, try again. You know, if they will let you lay them down, lay them down, cover them up, stay up to one minute and leave. Now the second option is to ignore completely. Now this is rough for most parents. But if it's going to make the meltdowns worse by going in, this is also an option. I have heard parents say, if I go in, they just get more worked up, it's just worse. The other option is you can go in the first time to check in and tuck in, make sure everything's okay. And then after that, stay out until they fall asleep, back to sleep. That's also an option. You decide what works best for you, how much of a struggle it is if you go in or if it's not really an issue. You get through the first three, two to three nights. It should greatly diminish. For some, two to three nights is all that you need. But I say plan for five just in case it lingers a bit longer. But even if it does, nights four and five should be vastly better. For more on conditioning and other basic concepts and discipline in parenting, including parenting styles and their common outcomes, you can see the intro to discipline class. Also the two sleep classes with three different bedtime and nighttime methods and dealing with concerns like nighttime weaning, wake ups, naps, bedtimes, infant sleep, and toddler sleep. Also, it covers all kinds of other issues that people have, like sleepwalking and nightmares, night terrors. All that stuff is covered in that, in those classes, infant sleep and toddler sleep. 
The classes on feeding and mealtimes cover all the tips for raising healthy eaters so that you're not um, playing into that if, with some type of power, power struggle or conditioning type of scenario that some parents or a lot of parents probably deal with. Um, the one for infants, one for toddlers, uh, one for infants and toddlers, the other for preschool and beyond, all of those on the website at yourvillageonline.com. Okay, so let's talk about how us parents are doing right now. I know I've been struggling off and on. I realize that this isolation is really weighing on me. I initially think it's related to other things, but then I really realize it's a lack of connection with people that's affecting me far deeper than I may have been admitting. You know, I miss meals with my friends. I miss gatherings and parties. I miss events like swim meets. All these social outlets are just gone. I mean, heck, the gym. I used to just see people I know at the gym. I don't can't do that anymore. And I think they add, not think, I know they add to the mental health far more than we realize or more than I realized. You know, we know that. We've been told that. Humans are social creatures. But I feel like I'm pretty strong and I can cope with a lot. But it's hard. It's really hard. I know for many, financial struggles are a big burden right now as well. You know, I've struggled too as a small business, but not nearly to the degree as some small businesses. So I'm lucky. And I'm really grateful to those members who have been able to stay with me through the pandemic. I mean, small businesses are hurting so much right now, but we'll get through it. And to the listeners who tune in for each episode, and especially those who spread the word to friends and the sponsors who have come to support the podcast as well, this has all helped keep me and my family afloat during this really trying time. So for those who are really struggling financially, my heart really goes out to you. And for those of you who have lost loved ones, my heart breaks for you, too. You know, other things a lot of us are dealing with is working from home, and whether kids are little or need more attention or in school, we feel guilty about not being more available to support and help them through their day or stay on track with assignments and on task. You are feeling that strain, too, and feeling a lot of guilt around that. It's so much added stress for families, and I just hope we can all start to see the beginning of the end of this suffering soon. But basically, us adults are under a lot of strain, a lot of stress. We're missing connection with friends. We're struggling financially. We're missing our family that we normally see to ease the stresses of life. When we are stressed, our kids feel it too. Obviously, this is by no means a guilt trip because we're all doing the best we can to get through each and every day. And I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. It's never been more important, and that is give yourself a break. This is hard. It's very hard. You're allowed to feel down. You're allowed to feel lost and stressed and angry and resentful and any number of things. Don't get down on yourself for not feeling and being this happy buffer all the time and feeling great all the time. You're having a bad day. You're having a hard day. You know what? Invite your kids in bed to snuggle with you and read with them. Just, you know, just do, do what you need to do to get yourself better, to feel better, to take care of yourself. Take that downtime. But, you know, and then you can still be with your kids and snuggle. I do that with my kids a lot. Get support where and how you can. I know a lot of us are strained financially, so therapy may be out of reach for many. If it's not, it's a great outlet to get some therapy every other week, every three weeks, whatever you can do. If you can't do that, you want to really lean on your friends. If you can't see friends in person, you can do phone calls, FaceTime. Whatever you can can do wonders. If you have one or two friends you feel comfortable seeing in person, just like with your kids, just those few small, you know, rings of friendships, what to whatever degree you do. And I know right now, actually, a lot of us, myself included, I've cut off in-person contact for myself and the kids as cases 
rise and our hospitals are full here. So, you know, I'm also at the new epicenter. So, you know, we have to be really careful. Um, but indulge yourself in that when you feel comfortable with in-person meetings, when you feel comfortable, when you feel safe. Until then, you can reach out online, on the phone, have a little, you know, wine and cheese with your friends online for that much needed social contact. Also know that experts are saying that unless a child is experiencing toxic stress, they likely will recover well from this and actually may build resiliency that will serve them in the long run. Now toxic stress are things like parents coping with things like alcohol in excess. I know we're all probably drinking a little bit more than we usually do. So a little bit more drinking is not what I'm talking about here. Also, you know, the threatening, the belittling, the name calling, children are dealing with that level of toxic stress, those types of things then those can lead to long-term effects. As far as schooling and falling behind, I know a lot of us are stressing about this too. And there is, this is only one study, so it's far from conclusive, but it's something and it's hopeful. I'm hoping other studies will show that this is also accurate. Um, but one assessment by the NWEA did a study of 5 million students, grades one to eight. They analyzed how the children are growing compared to past school years, so 2018 and 2019, the data excludes students who are not engaging with school right now. So if they're students, those are the populations that are, of course, the most affected and the most danger um, are students who are not engaging with school right now. And a lot of those are from parents of socioeconomically disadvantaged homes. But it does show that learning losses aren't as pronounced in reading and math as we may have thought. The average student has lost five to 10 percentile points in math and very little in the reading. And results from other assessments are revealing similar trends. When it comes to virtual learning, every child has a different needs. You wanna be patient, but here are some general guidance. So this might not be possible for all families, but if you can, you wanna dedicate a specific location in the home that can be free of clutter and distractions, well lit um, with all the tools that they need to support their ability to focus. No background noise, if they're in a classroom or they're at an age where they need to be taking notes, obviously having that pen and paper, pencil and paper, any tools they need for specific classes like math, having all that stuff available will really help. Also understanding the need for their breaks. Their brain breaks can be short bursts of a break, preferably physical activity. Uh, my kids tend to try to get online instead of going to do something, so I send them outside. Go on your skateboard, go jump on the trampoline for a few minutes, go throw the ball for the dog, something. But getting that break with for a little walk or a snack or some short little exercise is um, really helpful to give their brain that break. If your school allows for flexibility, you wanna encourage your child to focus on content that is interest to them the most. So if they, if they give some options, on what they can do, the types of books they can read, help your kids find that interest um, for them, and then whatever you can do to provide those types of books or those types of activities that they can use for their assignments or their reading time or whatever. You wanna encourage your children to build their independence, but you also wanna be sure to check in and verify how they're doing. Now, I know we failed to do this, I talked about this. It was a mad dash at the end of the semester for my sixth grader. It also meant quite a few missing assignments because deadlines had passed for him. So we'll do better next semester. I think I just expected that they were gonna allow him to turn everything in up to the end and maybe it didn't matter so much, but there were some cutoffs for some of the classes for when some of those assignments were due. So if you had this issue like we did, you wanna forgive yourself 
make a plan for next semester, use the break to get into better habits. That's exactly what we're doing around here, getting into habits of getting up, getting their stuff done, getting their reading done, getting their showers, getting into a really good habit with that. If you feel like your child's falling behind, you want to bring the concerns to their teacher or teachers. Set meetings. These teachers are great about that. This definitely, we've had a great experience with that. Um, setting meetings with teachers. I, For my sixth grader, I have him send the email. I want him to start taking um, control of that, taking a leadership role for his own education. It, you know, I say, why don't you email your math teacher, you email your social studies teacher, whatever, and set up a meeting. Let me know what time you guys have set up and I will join you. For emotional health, you want to check in daily with your children. You're going to put away all those distractions and have a talk with your child. You want to ask them, how are you doing? Now, with younger people, you can keep it shorter. Just have a short conversation. Talk about feelings, what they are. Ask them how they're feeling. With older kids, you can go deeper. You can have richer conversations about their emotional well-being. You want to do your best to set up and stick with a routine. Now, if your child's school has flexibility with the schedule, I would encourage your kids to get on a set schedule, engage with the class meetings as much as possible. Some meetings in some schools may be optional, we've had that, but the more they can get on and engage with peers, the better it's gonna be for their emotional health. The more they can get into a routine, that will help as well, because they have a place they're supposed to be, they're expected to be, and it just kind of keeps things moving, and it really is very beneficial to their emotional health for that. Okay, so I hope you all are hanging in there. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're finding tools and tips to survive this. I hope that the tips that I gave are also helpful and added to that. And I hope that you have friends to talk to when you are struggling. People to pick up the phone and just talk about how much you're struggling. When you have a bad day, do it. Pick up the phone because chances are someone else you know is also having a bad day or had one yesterday and knows exactly what you're feeling and what you're talking about. For more on intro to discipline, positive discipline by age, sleep and bedtimes, healthy eating, education, development, and more, you can see all the 60 classes on the website at yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm -hmm.